what you have to do when you're trying to go into these giant markets, like in our case, enterprise identity, there's these legacy incumbent vendors, IBM, Oracle, CA. They've been doing it for 30 years. There's a lot of like reticence to change. Why would I change? It's hard to change. Customer success and customer marketing and making sure these customers are super successful and helping us as we build the company has been invaluable. It's been the number one corporate value since we started the company. And one way to do that is to get them all talking to each other. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from the greatest SaaS minds across the world. The show is brought to you by SaaStock, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, returning to Dublin in October 15th to the 17th, 2018. On this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, I talk with Frederick Kerist, co-founder and COO of Okta, a company that brought identity management to the cloud, went public on NASDAQ last year. Frederick and his co-founder, Todd McKinnon, met back in 2002 when they were part of the early team at salesforce.com. There, they saw the birth and rise of enterprise SaaS. Even that early on, its potential for growth and value was already becoming apparent. Spending five years at Salesforce, Frederick learned a huge amount about SaaS. By 2009, he and Todd were ready to start their own venture and took identity management from the premises of behemoths like Oracle and IBM and put it on the cloud. They raised one million in seed initially, half of which came from Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen. We're about to join forces and establish Andreas and Horowitz. Nearly a decade later, Okta has 47,000 customers, earns 300 million in ARR, and its shares have just reached an all-time high. And SaaS is stronger than ever, just as Frederick and Todd predicted it would be. We see this very clearly at SaaS.2. Inspired by Okta and Frederick's story, we want to bring one lucky SaaS Revolution show listener to SaaS. Uh, and SaaS City for free, with something money can't buy on top, an invite to our speaker's dinner. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime chance to meet exceptional founders, have up-close conversations with them. You can't buy this kind of access, and you've got to be in it to win it. To enter, go to sasrevolution.show and sign up for the raffle until Wednesday, September the 19th at midnight. We'll announce the winner on next week's episode. For now, listen on to learn what the road to IPO has been like for Frederick and Okta. When we started the company, we, we knew this was a big opportunity. So we thought always we wanted to build a large, independent Um, software company. If you're going to build a large independent software company, public becomes a natural thing because you want to build a large independent public software company. You know, you're going to pay your, you know, first of all, you're going to get investment from guys like Andreessen Horowitz, Sequoia Capital, Greylock, Kosla. Those folks are going to expect a return at some point. So there's going to be the two outcomes. You're either going to sell the company or you're going to take it public. Those are the two natural outcomes. Um, Obviously, we thought this was a big opportunity. If you can execute on that, you're going to have great opportunities to do that. What is essential in the preparation for it? Tremendous amount of work, obviously. A lot of luck goes into it. Timing's a big thing. But the biggest thing is just kind of having a plan and a program and executing to that plan and program. You can't get too far ahead of yourself. I mean, you can't say, what's my five-year plan when you're in year two of the company? But you want to have an idea of where you're going. What has played the biggest role in its success? He said, look, we're going to go public, right? It is a thing that's going to happen, whether it's in nine months or 12 months or 15 or 18. We're not exactly sure when, but it's a fait accompli. So let's start thinking about what's going to happen beyond that. Because the way we talked about it is like high school graduation. IPO is like high school graduation. It's important. You got to graduate from high school, but you don't want to be the person who like peaked at their high school graduation. You don't want to be like high school graduation was the best part of my career. And it's all been downhill since then. Like that's not a good scene. You might know a couple of those people. 
you know, good people at the time, but kind of in hindsight, you want to make sure it's just another step in the process. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, Frederick Kerist, uh, Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder at Opta Inc. Welcome, Frederick. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Alex. Excited to be here. No, no, it's great to uh, have you on the show. So, um, uh, Frederick, uh, I, I think, well, we we haven't met in person, but we've, we've spoken a, a couple of times. And in fact, I've been to uh, the wonderful uh, Octane uh, last year in uh, in Vegas, uh, uh, and uh, but so I know a little bit about you, um, but perhaps you know maybe some of our audience uh, hasn't heard a little uh, you know about you, who you are, what's your story, uh, how you've come to you know, co-found uh, Opto. Can you tell us a little bit about your story, who you are? Yeah, absolutely. Have to do that. So my name is uh, Frederick Karras. I'm the chief operating officer, one of the two co-founders, and a member of the board of directors of a company called Okta. We're an enterprise software company focused on identity. Um, let's see, we started the company about 10 years ago. Uh, prior to that, my background has all been in enterprise software. Uh, I got a computer science degree. I wrote enterprise software. I started a call, small company called salesforce.com in 2002. They had about 150 people and helped grow that business for about five years. Uh, we started Okta in 2009. Uh, let's see, in the last 10 years, we've gone from uh, two to about 1,300 people. We've gone from zero to about 4,700 customers. We've gone from zero to about three hundred, north of three hundred million dollars in, in revenue. Uh, private company till we went public last year on, on Nasdaq, which is great, fastest growing uh, public software service company last year, um, and just uh, you know having a good time and working every day to build some shareholder value. So awesome, great. So and and uh, we we don't actually publish the video; we just publish the audio. So uh, uh, you, you're wearing a Hawaiian shirt uh, today, and uh, so the, so the, the, for those that are listening. Uh, why is that? Well, you know, what's I am wearing a Hawaiian shirt. So uh, Fridays are Hawaiian shirt Fridays. It's actually, I picked this up at, at Salesforce. This is one of the, I learned a lot of great things there, but one of the things I learned is uh, it, it's good just to bring a lot of the personal culture into the company. Obviously, Mark Benioff, big fan of Hawaii. We had a lot of the conference rooms were named after islands and so forth. And it was just a good way to remind people that this is a job, but it's also a place where you're going and you get used to it and it's a culture and you have friends there and you build a community. And so I just started doing it at, at Okta when we started. First of all, because I had a dozen Hawaiian shirts. And my wife was like, you either have to start wearing these or you're going to have to throw them out. And that was one thing. Uh, and then second of all, it's just a good way to remind people, you know, this is just also... It's a job, of course, but it's something that we're living every day. And so you want to make sure that you remember that. So um, we do have a policy here at Okta. You can actually buy a Hawaiian shirt when you come and expense it to me. Very few people do that. But those that do, we introduce all of our... New employees every Friday in a high definition audio video. Those that do wear their Hawaiian shirts, I give them specific props for it. So, very awesome. good. well, well uh, had I known that, I mean, I bought my first Hawaiian shirt a few weeks ago. I should have worn it, and uh, I would have got props from you. Uh, so, uh, That's okay. I might send and, you for next okay. time. Okay, there we go. There we go. Perfect. Uh, and so, actually, a, a, a nice segue in there because, as you say, you, you, you've taken this a bit of the, the, the culture that you've learned from. Uh, the great salesforce dot uh, uh, com and uh, uh, so you you and your co founder Todd I think uh, Todd works at Salesforce as well. Um, that's right. That's what we met. Yep. How important has that education at like Salesforce like you you know really kind of helped you you know build Opta into the company that it is today? 
Yeah, well, I think more than anything, I mean, certainly we had a great experience there. When a company grows that size, you make a lot of good friends, you learn a lot of good things, you understand a lot about growth and how to manage culture. And when you have dozens of new employees showing up every week or every month, it gives you a good idea of that. I think more than anything, though, what we took out of Salesforce was the opportunity that we saw when we started to build Okta, right? We had a front row seat to um, this this dramatic change in transformation from uh, on-prem enterprise software that was delivered in servers that people implemented and supported to software delivered as a subscription service over the internet. And you got to remember when we started in, at Salesforce in 2002, we had $25, $50 million of revenue, right? And that was pretty much all of software as a service, right? $500 billion of enterprise software spent every year, $25, $50 million of software as a service. But we got to see that grow. We got to see the value customers got out of it. We got to see how those values were better aligned with the vendors, right? Because if it's a subscription service, I have to keep delivering value. And what we realized is that would change pretty dramatically how people were going to consume enterprise software, which led us to start Okta because we saw that there was going to be complete new transformation of how people think about enterprise IT, about how they have an enabling technology layer. And so that's actually the biggest thing is having a front row seat to that transformation to the software as a service world and how it's a much better consumption model, which led us to actually starting and building Okta. For in, in, in my uh, limited knowledge, um, obviously, you, you guys are, uh, or Octa's all around customer identity. And I, I want to say, like, you're the market leader in uh, customer identity, like, given, like, the, the, the great numbers that you shared and, you know, going public uh, to the last year. Was this a category that actually, like, you know, existed when you started the company? Or, or is this a category that you've created? Because I'm reading a lot about, uh, you know, category creation at the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so like, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So this category has existed for a long time. So the category called identity management. It's a traditional category. It's been around for 30 years. Uh, the traditional vendors that sold it in an on-prem world were CA, IBM, Oracle. And basically, when you were a company and you bought everything from Oracle, your database and your application server and your web server 20 years ago, identity would be baked in there. <clears throat> Meaning you, Alex, if you worked at that company, you had a user. It was in there. It was in the Oracle application, it was in the Oracle database, but it all kind of worked very well together. And so it wasn't as big of a problem then. And that's why you had the big identity on-prem management vendors. What's happened obviously over the last decade is proliferation of software as a service tools of enterprise infrastructure. You know, we have pre-integrated infrastructure to 5,000 different applications, uh, whether it's your network appliance like Palo Alto Networks, whether it's your VPNs, whether it's your MFAs, all the different kinds of technologies that are out there now, there's just so much of it. It's gone from a very homogeneous to a very heterogeneous environment. So just for employees inside companies trying to use all these different applications, Salesforce and Workday and ServiceNow, it's just hard to find where they are and use them all together. So that traditional enterprise identity management business has actually been around for a long time. Obviously, we think that there's a much bigger opportunity today, just given the proliferation of all these applications. But that's actually just the first part of our business. The second part of our business is what you're talking about, customer identity and access management. This is pretty new, right? This is, yeah, sure, you and I have had an Amazon.com username password for 15 years, buying e-commerce. But it's only over the last 5, 10 years that companies have gotten comfortable enough with the enterprise-grade scale of the internet to do modern supply chains, to make sure that you have to have the best interaction with your customers online. So for example, you came to Las Vegas last year and you saw Octane, or earlier this year rather, we, it was a, at the Aria, an MGM property, MGM Resorts International customer of ours. When you logged in, when you went to the front desk and checked in, they tried to give you an MLife number. That MLife is your affinity number. It's like when you travel on an airplane or whatever else the case may be. And so they want to track your points. They want to track your usage. They want to personalize the experience. 
uh, MGM Resorts International customer of ours. The MLife data store has about 10 million consumers in it. That runs inside Okta. So we run that database for it. Now, why is that important? It's important because next year, when you go back to Las Vegas, and not for Octane, because we're moving it back to San Francisco, but when you go back there for you know, a weekend with your mates or whatever the case may be, you're going to go back to the MGM property and they're going to say, oh, Alex, great to see you again. Okay, here's some things we know about you. You want a hotel room on a high floor, king-size bed, non-smoking, away from the elevators. We can give that to you ahead of time. We can personalize that experience. That whole kind of data store and thinking about that in a customer-facing world, that's all pretty new. That's all pretty modern. Doing that in a B2B environment where you have to interact with your business partners. And that's a big part of our business that's brand new and growing. And that's where you talk about market creation. That is certainly something that's being created real time. Awesome. What is the, I mean, um, like the Opta product or the two products that you have, uh, seemingly it's like enterprise, uh, enterprise sales. Like is it large ACV or high ACV? Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, we have a, a pretty, you know, what's called standard, I guess, enterprise sales model. Uh, we have a, a set of uh, inside sales uh, account executives, both inbound, SDR, BDR, 1-800-OCTA, how can I help you, as well as outbound prospecting. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a small and medium business uh, sales group. They do telesales, whether it's out of California, we have a, an East Coast office, we have an office in Europe, we have one in Asia Pacific. And then we have enterprise sales, mid-market, large enterprise, all in the field, traditional model, account executives, sales executives, uh, sales engineers, professional services support, all that kind of model. So that's exactly right, inside and outside. And, and, and when you started initially, like 10 years ago, uh, I guess kind of like to build this model, uh, I mean, you know, where, where you bootstrapped, did you take funding to like hire all these great, uh, you know, sales uh, uh, guys and girls in, uh, into the team? Uh, yeah, well, when we started, you're talking to the only sales account executive that was in the company. So I think the first 20 customers... Uh, I, I was the account exec. I was a sales engineer. I was the professional services guy. Um, and you know, I'm happy to say some of those or most of those are still customers of ours. So I, I didn't mess it up too badly. But yeah, certainly as we went, we, uh, we wanted to grow the company. We saw a huge opportunity. We saw an opportunity to build a very large independent software company. The markets that we're in, right? if you think about traditional enterprise identity management, it's tens of billions of dollars spent every year on this legacy infrastructure. So we have to help them modernize that. And then this new market we talked about, customer identity management, it's brand new and growing, but three to five years from now, I could see it being as big, if not bigger, because every company has to become a technology company, right? Every company has to think of about a better way to interact with their customers. When you think about that, you want to invest into those markets. So yeah, we went and got venture capital. I'm happy to talk about kind of that process to start growing sales teams, inside sales teams, outside sales teams, all those kinds. Yeah, actually, I mean, what, just uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the, the venture capital path that you've taken, like how you went about raising, who you, who you raised from, why you chose those investors. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So um, let's see. So we started the company in 2009. We raised a million dollars of seed capital. Uh, about half of that was from uh, Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen, who were just starting Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, we were actually the first investment ever in their first fund was our seed round in 2009. The other half of that round was <clears throat> friends and family, uh, you know, uh, other, other successful entrepreneurs who we knew, things like that. And then we kind of grew the company every year. We ended up raising uh, over the course of the following seven or eight years, we raised through seven rounds in capital about $230 million. Uh, the largest investors were uh, Sequoia Capital, uh, Andreessen Horowitz, uh, Greylock Partners, uh, and Coastal Ventures. And, uh, you know, fantastic group, uh, really learned a ton working from those folks. No doubt the company wouldn't be where it is today without them. Uh, you know, we've, we've been very fortunate. Ben, ben Horowitz has been on our board since 2010, still on our board today. 
Um, and then Anil Bushri represented the Greylock seat, the, the CEO and founder of Workday for six years, uh, was also on our board and just learned a ton from folks like that. So, yeah, no, no. I mean, well, it's uh, Andrew. I, I think all of the VCs that you named, you know, great, uh, uh, great firms, uh, and uh, interesting to know. I, I didn't know that uh, you, I guess, one of the first investments for Andrew and Horowitz. So uh, that, that that that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, and obviously, last year you, you went public. So so you you, you know you're at three hundred million revenue this year. Uh, last year you, you went public. What was that like? You know, after sort of ten years, or was it nine years? You know, of of building this company. To, to finally, you know, take it public and, you know, ring the gong. Yeah, well, um, actually, you know, we went public on NASDAQ, so they don't even have a gong anymore. <laughs> it's like a button that you press. They're like, now you're trading. Um, but New York Stock Exchange does have the gong, you're right. Okay. So that's certainly one of the things you think about when you decide which which uh, which which uh, exchange to go, live, to go public on. Uh, no, NASDAQ has been fantastic. Yeah, so... Uh, look, when we started the company, we, we knew this was a big opportunity. So we thought always we wanted to build a large, independent um, software company. If you're going to build a large, independent software company, public becomes a natural thing because you want to build a large, independent public software company. You know, you're going to pay your... You know, First of all, you're going to get investment from guys like Andreessen Horowitz, Sequoia Capital, Greylock, Kosla. Those folks are going to expend, expect a return at some point. So there's going to be either two outcomes. You're either going to sell the company or you're going to take it public. Those are the two natural outcomes. Um, obviously, we thought this was a big opportunity. If you can execute on that, you're going to have great opportunities to do that. Secondly, employees, right? You're going to pay employees, sure, in cash, but also partially in stock options. So at some point, they're going to have to get liquidity. It's a natural process to go public. Um, so, so when you think about how you're going to do it, it's one thing to say, hey, I want to build a large independent public company. The other thing is obviously to get there, as you mentioned. So we're very fortunate. Uh, we had a great public uh, uh, initial public offering uh, April 2017. Uh, it's gone very well. The, the stock's performed well since then. So we're, we're very fortunate on that side. Look, I think that um, tremendous amount of work, obviously. A lot of luck goes into it. Timing's a big thing. But the biggest thing is just kind of having a plan and a program and executing to that plan and program. You can't get too far ahead of yourself. I mean, you can't say, what's my five-year plan when you're in year two of the company? But you want to have an idea of where you're going. Um, so I think that's great. It's obviously a great event for employees. It's a great event, honestly, for early customers. I mean, you think about... CIOs at early customers who took a big bet on us. They're like, oh, well, I can buy the traditional Microsoft or, or Oracle or IBM product. It's kind of a safe route to go. Or I can buy the thing from these guys at Okta. I hope it works out. It's a big validation event for them too, right? They're like, hey, I made the right bet on this company down the road and it's come back to, to pay dividends, which is awesome. But at the same time, all those things are great. You get an influx of capital. So a lot more things you can do with that. Obviously, we raised $170 million in the, in the IPO that we can use for proceeds to accelerate the business. It's also a validation event. So now I can go talk to the biggest companies in the world. And they're not wondering, hey, are you going to be in business? Are you going to be out of business? It's like, my financials are publicly available. They're audited by Ernst & Young. You can go check them out yourself. I think it just gives people a sense of confidence. And it's a big marketing event. Not just in North America where people kind of know us, but... In Europe, in Asia Pacific, all of a sudden you're something that's listed on a big public market. They're like, okay, I'm starting to hear about these folks. So I think it's helped accelerate all of those pieces. At the same time, one thing we did kind of focus the company on is a year before we went public, because and you don't decide, hey, I'm going to go public next month and then boom, you're public. It's a process. It takes 12, 15 months. You got to get the right bankers. You got to write the, the S1. You got to get all these things kind of in order. You got to get uh, everything audited and so forth and so on. So about a year before we went public, we kind of turned to the company. Um, and we have a big annual kickoff with the entire company where we talked to them. And we talked to them and we said, look, we're going to go public. 
right? It is a thing that's going to happen, whether it's in nine months or 12 months or 15 or 18, we're not exactly sure when, but it's a fait accompli. So let's start thinking about what's going to happen beyond that. Because the way we talked about it is it's like high school graduation. IPO is like high school graduation. It's important. You got to graduate from high school, but you don't want to be the person who like peaked at their high school graduation. You don't want to be like, high school graduation was the best part of my career and it's all been downhill since then. Like that's not a good scene. You might know a couple of those people, you know, good people at the time, but kind of in hindsight, you want to make sure it's just another step in the process. And when you look at the very successful enterprise software companies over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, what you see is if you just look at market creation, value creation, shareholder, but also customer base, you see that when they went public, you know, for a lot of companies, I mean, Microsoft went, went public at what, you know, 500 million, maybe a billion of value. What today it's hundreds of billions of dollars of enterprise value. Same with Salesforce. We went public, it was a $2 billion valuation. Today, the company's $100 billion of enterprise value. So if you think about that, you think about how much value you can create after IPO, because there's so many more things you can do. We really want to refocus the company and say, hey, it's going to be a great event. It's going to come. But let's make sure we're already thinking about what happens afterwards. We want to build an iconic technology company. Iconic technology companies have a number of attributes. They've got attributes in terms of revenue, in terms of culture, in terms of mission, in terms of vision, in terms of breadth. We want to think about those things now. IPO, awesome. But what's going to happen afterwards and how do we think about that? We, we, we mentioned earlier, uh, Octane, your, your big, I, I don't know, do you call it a user conference or is it? Is, oh, is, customer is, conference. User, you know, user has that uh, negative pejorative uh, insinuation in North America about drugs. Okay. <laughs> It's great if you think that people are going to use your software as a service that way, but I really prefer the term customer conference. Okay. So uh, uh, Octane, like uh, I went last year, it was pretty huge. I think like the budget was probably 50 times uh, SaaS stocks budget. Um, but you, you know, have you uh, been running that since day one? Like when did you decide to do, yeah. run a customer conference and what's the benefit to uh, a SaaS company or any company for, for doing a customer conference and investing in it like you guys do? Absolutely. We started uh, first. So this was the fifth octane, if I'm not mistaken. I think the first one was 2013. Uh, and we started it really as a way to get our customers together talking about the future of identity and the future of infrastructure in the enterprise world. Because um, in our business, obviously, it's, it's software as a service in particular, no surprise, right? We took this from Salesforce. Customer, the power of customer success is huge. In the old world of on-prem enterprise software, I'd sell you a bunch of software, whether you implement it or not, it didn't really matter. You were still going to pay me. In this new world, what we learned, obviously, no surprise, we took this from Salesforce, your incentives as a vendor are very much aligned with the incentives of the customer. Because I want to make sure that you as a customer are getting a lot of value out of the service or you're not going to resubscribe. Same thing as cell phone service. right? In America, we have Verizon, AT&T, Sprint. If you're Verizon, it's not going awesome. You're just going to go to AT&T. Number portability, like the whole thing, it just goes away. It's transparent. And so you want to make sure that that's the same in our world. What you have to do when you're trying to go into these giant markets, like in our case, enterprise identity, there's these legacy incumbent vendors, IBM, Oracle, CA. They've been doing it for 30 years. There's a lot of like reticence to change. Why would I change? It's hard to change. Customer success and customer marketing and making sure these customers are super successful and helping us as we build the company has been invaluable. It's been the number one corporate value since we started the company. And one way to do that is to get them all talking to each other. And so that prospects can come and they can say, okay, it's one thing if a prospect calls me and says, Frederick, I want to buy your software. Tell me about it. I tell them all about it. It's very different if the customer calls me and I said, well, that's great, Alex. I can tell you all about it. But why don't I introduce you to Jane over here? 
And Jane runs a company that's in the same industry as you. It's the same size or bigger, same types of problems. Why don't you just talk to Jane about the, about the problems she had, about how she decided on Okta, about how we've helped her, about the technology solutions, about the business value she's gotten, and then come back and talk to me. And you're going to be like, awesome, much more value. I can go talk to another customer, see what that's like. That was one of the first real reasons we thought about, hey, we want to get all these customers together and talk about it. Now it's, it's a great event. It's largely a customer event still. North of 50% of attendees are actually paying customers. They would just want to get an update on the roadmap. They want to get exposure to other customers so they can build those cohorts. They want to meet the rest of the executive team. We make sure that our entire executive team is there, that they're on the floor, that they're walking around. They want to get a chance to talk to all the partners. I mean, this year we had dozens and dozens of partners, but 50 partners sponsoring the event so that you can go to the customer and say, by the way, all these other supporting technologies or all these other system integrators you might want to talk to, they're here too. You can talk to them. So it just ends up becoming a much bigger cohort. Look, in year one, how many of them were customers versus prospects? Definitely a lot of them were customers. You're starting to get more and more prospects coming saying, hey, it's an opportunity for me to learn as well. So, Why, why the move back to San Francisco? Just refreshing it up? Uh, just the size, actually. So when you look at the size of the, of the event, it's grown about 40 50% year over year. We've kind of maxed out. I think uh, I don't remember the exact numbers, but well north of 3,000 attendees last year. I think coming up on 4,000 attendees last year, there was no room to grow 50% inside any of the big venues in Las Vegas. Now it's a natural to bring it back to Moscone. Moscone's got these great, event, these great venues that are right here. It's just going to be a big event. When's the, when's the next one? Uh, it's taking place in April, early April, late March, early April. I'd love to have you. Please come as my yeah. VIP guest, Alex. Okay, well, there you go. I'll, I'd love to come. And uh, uh, and actually, you 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 were originally we had you down to to speak at SAS eighteen, but you've you've got a very valid reason uh, not to be uh, not to come this year. Um, and obviously, congratulations uh, uh, for that. But uh, uh, likewise, we hope to to have you back at SAS uh, uh, or, or have you at SAS nineteen. Uh, next year, but we have Okta sponsoring, which is uh, which is great. And yeah, uh, look, I'd love to be there. I told my wife about it. She said that's fantastic. But remember, you're about to have your third child a couple weeks later, so you have to make a call. Yeah. What's more important? And just you know, love my wife. Had to make that call. But yeah, I think the opportunity might be there next year. You know, exactly, it, it it is there, and uh, you're you're actually coincidentally the second person today that loves their wife more than Sastock. Uh, and is is choosing his wedding over uh, uh, Sastock, uh, you, you know. But uh, it, don't take it personally. These I are know. just in my house. It's it's okay. And look, f- final question is we're we're running out of time. We always uh, end the show. We ask our guests how they stay healthy and sane uh, on their journey. Uh, how have you done it in the ten years uh, at Okta? Um, how do you stay fit and healthy? Yeah, um, very good question. My my co-founder and I are both. Uh, amateur athletes, you know, if I got, if I got to do it all over again and I got to choose, I wanted to be a professional hockey player. So ice hockey. Uh, now of course I'm five foot eight and I weigh about 150 pounds with a wet sweater on. So that never really would have really made it. Uh, but I play a pretty high level of amateur ice hockey. So I plan a couple ice hockey leagues, um, you know, try and exercise every other day, uh, try and read a lot. I think there's a lot of good, um, reading out there. I do a lot of, uh, historical, reading historical fiction in particular, just understanding kind of what happened, not only in technology, of course, there's a lot of interesting technology things, but just understanding more about the world that we live in. Uh, it'll give you a different perspective. And then finally, I'm very fortunate. My wife's a doctor, so she knows nothing about technology. I mean, she knows a little about technology, but I definitely do not know much about OBGYN surgery. And so the great thing is at dinner time, we can't actually talk about this. We have to talk about something else. 
That's good. Um, that, yeah, it leads for a good. Uh, it leads for a good balance in life. So. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, Frederick Karras, um, CEO and co-founder of Octa, you've been a fantastic guest. Thanks so much for uh, you know, uh, giving up your, your morning to speak with us on the SaaS Revolution show. Really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks a lot, Alex. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution show and have picked up valuable lessons from Frederick Karras. We have 130 speakers coming to SaaS Talk 18, and they'll all talk about their mistakes, frameworks, and lessons learned in marketing, sales, customer success, being a CEO, operations, all other relevant departments to growing your SaaS business. They're all joining our speakers' dinner, uh, which you'll have the unique chance to join as well, as well as a free pass to SaaS Talk 18, if you enter our SaaS Talk raffle. Uh, the SaaS Universe is joining us in Dublin from 15th to 17th of October. Sign up for the raffle at sasrevolution.show. Thanks for listening and see you next time.